Hello and welcome to the Governance Podcast for Governors in the Diocese of Chichester and the Diocese of Chelmsford. My name is Mike Simmons and I'm your host for this 10th podcast in the series. In this episode I'm going to share some thoughts on leadership. This may be particularly helpful to you if you're a Chair of Governors or uh, aspiring to be a Chair of Governors. I'm also going to answer two or three questions that have been put to me as well as reminding you of uh, the current Grove book that I believe all of us need to be accessing. I'm recording this uh, episode as we are preparing or many are repairing for the coronation on Saturday. This is coronation week and whatever your views on royalty most of our schools will be celebrating many using the published resources that uh, we have been making known to you. But as I thought about the crowning of a new king and queen and what that means for us as a nation and a commonwealth so in what way does the coronation speak to us about school governance? Let's explore and think about what that could mean for us today. I guess it's uh, about questions, questions around how um, personal views and needs need to be select, uh, submitted to the collective view. I'm thinking there in terms of some people listening will be ardent royalists and may even be turning up in London on the day to watch the processions go by and be part of that coronation feel. Others won't even turn on their television and perhaps even refuse to buy a weekend newspaper because they have a particular view on the place of a monarchy in modern day society. Well, when it comes to a school governance context, Whatever our personal views are, they have to be submitted to the collective view of the Governance Board. We'll be familiar with the notion of collective responsibility, where once a discussion has been had and views have been shared and a decision has been made, whether it's by all or a decision that's made on a vote of a majority, collective responsibility steps in. Maybe that's not dissimilar to our response or maybe our lack of response, our, uh, our avoidance of a response to the current industrial action concerning our teachers' pay and conditions. It's a matter not so much for us as a governing board, but it is that we want our teachers to know that we care about them and their needs whilst we can't be involved in the strike action. I suppose as well the coronation does reprise questions around authority and who has authority. We all know that uh, whoever King Charles III is, he is a constitutional monarch it's largely ceremonial without going into the details. No longer will our king lead us into battle of any kind. So where does authority lie? 
well in the nation of course it lies within the elected government and in the school context authority lies in the governing body or the trust board in terms of a multi-academy trust in speaking about accountability I often quote this piece from Geoffrey Archer's book Heads You Win dictators don't care too much for other people's opinions mind you even the Duke of Wellington after chairing his first cabinet meeting as Prime Minister was surprised to find that his colleagues didn't seem willing to simply carry out his orders but actually wanted to discuss the alternatives it was some time before the Iron Duke was prepared to accept that his fellow cabinet ministers might have opinions of their own well I don't think it'll be news to chairs of governors or even head teachers to find that they are not dictators and that whether it's talking about accountability or good governance or leadership actually we need each other we're part and parcel of it all and we can learn from each other we can gain from each other's thinking we can make better choices because we have those conversations and debates so I want to share with you three things about leadership there are many things that could be shared leadership is not dictator a dictatorship but is is people is about people who lead by example St Paul has some startling words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 where he says follow my example as I follow the example of Christ was this some kind of claim to supremacy perfection absolute authority I don't think so I think it was more of a motivation to take what he modeled where it could be said to represent the way or ways of Jesus I'd be massively hesitant to use such a statement in any context but as a chair of governors or a colleague governor we might ask ourselves a constant question is this attitude this action this behavior this contribution is it what I'd like others to willingly also be like do I lead by example secondly to lead by influence Psalm 1 starts with these words Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers Here's the most important part I want us to note whose but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night that person is like a plant or tree rather planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers it's a fascinating metaphor isn't it there's this tree planted by a stream that is flourishing a tree that is bearing good fruit I think it says something about how we gain resources for the role that we fulfill what sustains us some people have called this our reservoir of hope 
For it's in this that we find something of our fruitfulness, bringing value to the work of the governing board and the life of those who we serve, like the head teachers and the schools themselves. I'm calling this influence because it removes the stigma or the attitude of dictatorship. The governor's handbook says executive leaders, that's our head teachers, are responsible for the internal organisation, management and control of schools. Every board must have a single executive leader at the head of the line management chain of the whole organisation. It is their job to implement the strategic framework established by the board. Boards should not work to support and strengthen, sorry, boards should work to support and strengthen the leadership of their executive and hold them to account for the day-to-day -day running of their schools, including the performance management of staff. It's worth emphasising that this is not about line managing the head teacher or anyone else for that matter. It is about working with them to ensure the best possible outcomes. Recently, there's been accusations of uh, ministers in the government bullying their staff. There is no place for this in the relationship of the chair and the head teacher or governance board and the senior leadership team or anybody else for that matter. Over recent times, I've been trying to introduce the idea that governing body meetings, whether that's one-to-one, -one, in committees, or the whole governing board, ought to be more of a professional conversation than two sides of an argument. If that's to be true, then openness is more, more than one aspect of the Nolan principles that we need to develop. We need it if we're to be intentional about being more relational, transparent, and using the conversation to influence rather than simply impose our own views. Perhaps it means we have to do more listening than we do speaking, certainly before we open our mouths. So leading by example, leading by influence, and leading by enabling. It's not without a good model that we look again to Jesus calling his disciples followers who are described in these terms after Pentecost which we celebrate in the church at the end of this month. These have turned the world upside down. Acts chapter 17 verse 6. You see he had so established that group of people who established yet more and who discipled yet more um, that they were effective in spreading the message of Jesus across the known world, which reaches down the centuries to us in 2023. I wonder what we're doing on our governing body about enabling each other, let alone enabling others. In other words, looking at succession planning. Brian Thompson and uh, Howard Worsley wrote, leaders need to recognise the gifts of others and make disciples by pastoring, orchestrate, orchestrating the gifts of all to reach maturity and thus empowering others, not just encouraging participation. I'd love it if our governing bodies could exemplify that discipleship model where we are understanding the different gifting and skills and experience of the people around the table. 
as a result of that are able to enable them to fulfill different roles and activities and responsibilities and whatever it might need whatever it takes this takes us beyond the skills debate or the skills requirement to really recognizing and understanding the individual and making the most of them but also looking to their development and their future and then of course working out well how do we put that into a succession model where we know who's going to become chair or could become chair or could take on the safeguarding role or the health and safety role or move to being more involved in teaching and learning and so on and so forth I read recently that a good example of leadership is provided by Field Marshal Viscount Bernard McGobbery. Perhaps the most critical battle in the Second World War was the one that took place at El Amain in North Africa in 1942. The British Army had been pushed back to the borders of Egypt and was facing imminent defeat. The leadership of the British Army was changed and Montgomery took command. His first job was to change the psyche of every soldier in his command. He inculcated them with a vision of victory. It is said that never before in the history of warfare have soldiers been so aware of their purpose, their objective and vision as Montgomery's troops. The result was the first victory that Britain had had in three years of warfare and it marked the turning point in the course of the Second World War. The success was due entirely to Montgomery. He was a true leader. He defined leadership as the capacity to rally men and women to a common purpose and the character which inspires confidence. A leader, he said, must exercise an effective influence and the degree to which he can do this will depend on the personality of the man, the incandescence of which he is capable, the flame which burns within him, the magnetism which will draw the hearts of men toward him. We need leaders who get people behind that common vision and inspire them to serve effectively and with passion. I think the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament sets out a good example of this. He found out that the walls of Jerusalem were broken. And so first of all, he prayed a lot with deep felt passion, concern, compassion feeling the burden himself. Then he went on to get permission to do what was needed. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, he surveyed the need before he shared it with the people that were living there. And what happened then was that they came behind him and built the walls because he mobilized people who shared his vision for the security of the city. So I want to encourage you, whatever stage you personally or your governing body are at currently, those same key stages are needed, particularly if you're a person of faith and of prayer, to begin with prayer. And then to seek permission or to seek the understanding of the governing board, the head teacher, the people around you. Perhaps not before you've surveyed the need and know what needs to be done in whatever particular area at least you think you need to know what is needed and then to begin the building of that project whatever it might be moving things forward collectively it's incredible what a governing body working with leadership can actually achieve so 
in coronation week let me encourage you not to want a constitutional governing body but a governing body that works together a chair and people who lead by example by influence and by enabling each other that we might continue to do well by the children in our schools and indeed our staff that we may build a future out of the reservoir of hope that is ours because we're developing did I say that if we're expecting people to learn and to develop it behoves us to do just that ourselves and it doesn't happen just by accident somehow we have to take some time out to develop ourselves and think about our role and the way in which we fulfill it so i've been asked some questions that uh, i want to just try to briefly answer here on the podcast so one of them was what transferable skills are there for governors reaching the end of their term of office well i suppose you know in a way it's about recognizing you've reached the end of your term of office we're saying these days that needs to be after two terms and not more um because we can we can step step aside to give space for others who are recruited which is why we need to be thinking about succession planning as well but it also enables us to perhaps think about taking our skills elsewhere and it might be those skills will be transferable to another governing body and to another school and you might talk to your diocese and, and find out uh, what kind of needs there are around within striking distance of, of where you live to uh, enhance and, and strengthen the life and work of a governing body somewhere. But it may be that you can use those skills elsewhere in a community project, in your church by joining the PCC or some other group that runs activities. So I think the transferable skills are perhaps that understanding of collective responsibility that we've been talking about in this episode. Or maybe uh, that uh, uh, understanding kind of the needs of children, the young people of today, because you've been grappling with some of that through the life of the school, understanding the needs of young people, understanding how children learn, Certainly, uh, I found many years ago when they introduced the numeracy literacy, it took me from a very, very low, low bar to slightly higher, just doing the training alongside the staff. You never know quite until you stop and count the cost of what you've actually benefited from and then see how that can work in a whole range of other ways. I can honestly say that I couldn't possibly be doing this role if I hadn't been a governor for 35 years. It's what set me up for this role apart from anything else. Okay, another question is, um, what is the position of the associate governor? It's a really important question because not all governing bodies have associate governors, but supposing you have a full complement of governors, but the one position you don't have is somebody who has real financial expertise. And you know that that's a lack on your governing body and you, you, you can't really recruit because you've got no 
spaces or uh, perhaps you're trying to recruit a foundation governor but uh, the people who've got the financial skills don't appear to have the right church engagement that's necessary to be appointed as a foundation governor what what then can you do well if you've identified someone who's willing to pay a part willing to contribute to the life of the governing board and perhaps doesn't even want to become a full governor then you can as a governing body appoint that person as an associate governor now what's the difference between an associate governor and any other governor well essentially an associate governor has no voting rights so when it comes to a decision making and you're uh, having a vote on that decision the associate governor cannot contribute to the vote they can have contributed to the discussion or if there's a panel that's needed to be established for everything from uh, appointing a head teacher to uh, i don't know disciplinary behavioral uh, panel then an associate governor can't sit on such a panel but monitoring contributing to discussion engaged in those way those things uh, no problem whatsoever it's very possible for an associate governor to bring a huge enhancement to the governing board and some governing boards use the associate position as partly as succession planning so that when a vacancy does arise there's someone who may be ready to step in through the usual processes and the third question what do I do if the ex-officio is not fulfilling their role? In this case, this is where uh, the vicar uh, is unable to take up the position or unwilling to take up the position, or maybe even is, I don't know, just got too many schools. You know, it's not uncommon now with multiple parishes for a vicar to have more than one parish, more than one parish C of E school to uh, share in the leadership of the governance of so what do we do well the first thing is always to be having the conversation to try and sit down with them and work out what is the issue what are the problems how can they be helped um, what what needs are there but sometimes that's not really possible sometimes you really just need to um, call me as your governance person at the diocese I, I fulfill that role in both dioceses and we'll talk through what the needs are what the problems are what the circumstances are and may well go on to have conversation with the vicar uh, or the rector we may go and talk to the archdeacon uh, who's the next port of call to work out what's the solution to this impasse as it were where uh, we have no ex officio governor playing a, a full part it's not about getting people into trouble this is about meeting the need and the responsibility that there is there and we will find different solutions so it will be a case of working out which school or any school that the vicar may play that role in or it might be that we begin to move towards the archdeacon appointing a temporary ex officio governor in their place for a period of time the key thing is if your conversations don't really take place can't really happen around uh, the uh, uh, with the individual then please do at the earliest possible get in time get in touch with me and we will begin to explore how to resolve the situation the 
2023 SIAMS framework marks a significant break with the past and with previous approaches to Section 48 inspection. It retains a high bar in terms of accountability, while simultaneously introducing a new context-specific freedom for schools. It does so mainly by asking high-level questions that are focused entirely on impact rather than by setting out lists of criteria to be met. Schools are invited to share their own stories of how their Christian vision enables pupils and adults to flourish instead of being expected to jump through preordained generic hoops. This may leave some thinking that the former connection with the vision for education has been dispensed with or marginalised, but the links are closer than ever before and the shared theological provenance deeper. The term theological rooted Christian vision appears for the first time in Siam's 2023. So is one of the opening chapters of the brand new Grove book that's entitled A Fresh Look at Church School Inspection, examining the 2023 Siam's framework. And uh, it's written by Dr. Margaret James, who is in charge of inspections for uh, the UK, uh, England and Wales. So I would just encourage you to go to the Grove Booklet website and buy that short book that will give you a head start on understanding the uh, nature of, um, of inspections, SIAMS inspections. So uh, the website address is grovebooks.com org sorry grovebooks.co.uk and go to the education series and you'll find that book listed there they're only uh, very reasonably priced 4.95 for a book that you will have beside you as you think through and prepare for science so thank you for listening to the podcast today a brief prayer to close father god thank you for our schools and our governors help us to reflect and be reflective to learn and to lead we ask through jesus christ our lord amen till the next episode i wish you well and do please write if there's any comment or questions that you would like answered thank you and god bless you mm-hmm.